the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Oh, I cannot thank you enough for joining us here today on the afternoon show at KKLA 99.5 FM radio. I hope you're listening. I hope you'll stay with us. My name is Dudley Rutherford. I'm a pastor here in the San Fernando Valley. Uh, they, uh, this program is kind of in the midst of looking for a new host, and um, they're out there looking for the right person that God has called. And in the meantime, they're having several pastors filling, and it's my turn this week. Senior pastor at Shepherd Church in Porter Ranch, California, a racially diverse church and a generational diverse church. And uh, we're here every night at 7 o'clock. If you tune back in, we have a program called Lift Up Jesus. And you can go to liftupjesus.com and learn more about our ministry. And today, uh, this hour, 3 o'clock, please stay with us. I have one of the most amazing stories that I've ever heard, ever read in my entire life. Uh, it's a book called The Shot Caller. The Shot Caller. And you might not know what that means. I didn't know what that, that, that word meant. A couple of weeks ago, I was coming out of church, and someone came up and handed me this book. And they said, you need to read The Shot Caller. And I didn't really know anything about it. Um, kind of looked at the cover, and I could tell it was one of those stories of someone who had kind of been caught up in the gang world here in Los Angeles and they ended up getting out of prison and ended up God reaching this person where he is now being used uh, to the glory of God. And you know, the truth of the matter is, and why this is important, is that Jesus Christ came to this earth to redeem people, to restore people. He came to set the prisoner free. And all around this city, if you're driving on those freeways this very moment, if you look across those cars next to you, ahead of you, behind you, so many of these people in this city driving up and down these freeways, they are as lost as lost can be. Some of them are so bad that you think, well, God could never reach someone like that. And nothing could be further from the truth. Because the person that is farthest away from God, the one that's running 100 miles an hour away from God, is not beyond the grace of Almighty God. And you're going to hear a story today, a remarkable story, a story that is almost... Uh, you can't even get your hands around it, but you're going to meet the man. It's not a myth. It's a true story. It's a story of redemption of someone that a lot of people gave up on, and yet God redeemed him. I want to welcome Casey Diaz to our program today. Casey, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, and thank you so much for having me here. Well, well thank you for your life and your testimony and for writing this book, um, The Shot Caller. And I, I kind of want to go through this uh, story in, in the order that it took place. Okay. You originally came from El Salvador, and uh, you're, you're, the, you're the son of some immigrants. Tell us that story of how you, your parents actually got to the United States. Well, they came here in uh, 1974. Uh, I was two years old, so not much to remember there. Right. Uh, but, you know, it was uh, a lot quieter. Los Angeles was a lot cleaner. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have the homeless problem that we're having right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't even remember seeing that, uh, you know, growing up. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it was uh, very innocent in the beginning when we got here. Um, 
grew up, uh, went to elementary school at Hoover Elementary here in downtown Los Angeles, um, about uh, a mile away from MacArthur Park. And uh, but you know it was wholesome. I, I looking back, uh, it was just fun and games, uh, playing baseball outside, and you know football. All the kids right after school meeting out outside, and it was just fun. It was it was uh, still a stage in my life that um, I, I wasn't really aware of what would come next. But your parents uh, were not married. No, they were they were immigrants from El Salvador. Yes. And your father was very, very abusive towards you and towards your mom, correct? Yes. And explain just briefly a little bit of the detail of what you'd come home and what you'd see. Um, right away, uh, one of the things that caught my attention was the, the violence uh, coming from my father. He was a heavy drinker, um, hardly ever worked. Um, and when he did, I mean, it was just really for, you know, for his drinking habit to continue. And... Uh, the brutal beatings that I witnessed. Uh, you're just a small child. You're just a kid, and you're, you, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing. I mean, you could try to go in between it, and but there's nothing really that you can do to help your mom. And my mom's tiny, man. Uh, you know, she's what, like five one or whatever it is, and she's this tiny little lady that's worked fourteen hour days, and then comes home to a beating uh, almost every other day. It's kind of hard to uh, to watch as a little boy. But it was a huge impact in your life, influence in your life, seeing that violence and seeing your, your dad uh, beat your mom. Uh, sometimes you'd, you'd think your mom was dead at, at some point, uh, bleeding. Not, not, I mean, it wasn't just a slap. She was actually beaten uh, close to, to death several times. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, I would come into the apartment, and there was moments and times where she was just passed out from the beatings. And, and you... There was an anger in your heart towards your dad. Yeah. And there there was a one time where you, you, you tried to take his life. Yeah. And, and how, how old were you then? And, and, and tell us that story briefly. I'm, I'm probably around eight years old. Um, and uh, some of you that are out there that are, you know, born in the 70s or before that, uh, they had space heaters or metal heaters. Is what they, and they looked like accordions. Um, they were out of gas. They ran uh, from gas, and um, he had passed out on the floor, and uh, so I shoved his head as, as much as possible towards the, the 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 opening of the gas there. I opened it, and how I knew that is because my uncle had taught me how to do that, uh, turning on the heater, and, and so I knew that part. And I turned on the gas, and my hopes was that he would not wake up. And my mom walked in uh, on that incident and couldn't believe what she had just witnessed. You couldn't believe that your mom didn't want your dad dead. I didn't understand that because this is a person that's, you know, causing so much, um, not just emotional pain, but physical pain. Right, right. So very troubled uh, upbringing because of the, the your dad was basically an alcoholic and, and abused you, beat you, beat your mom. And, and eventually you get caught up in the gang life uh, as a very young person. I mean, young, like 11 years of age. Uh, you, you get caught up in the gangs. Tell us how you got caught up in the gangs and how deep you got into to the gang life. Um, I got in at 11 years old. Uh, there was a, a young man there that introduced me to it. I remember him writing on uh, gang writing on the floor with a spray paint. And uh, it caught my attention. It was just me and him outside on the sidewalk, and I 
started to ask the questions, you know, what was he doing? What does that mean? And he kind of just came, gave me a brief rundown of what he had just got involved in himself. Mm. And it, it was intriguing uh, in the sense that because what he said was we're family. And that's something that, well, I didn't know because, one, I had a mom that was out working mm-hmm. 14-hour days. She's gone. She's gone. And dad's nowhere to, to be found except when he came home drunk. So I didn't understand the structure of family. So when he says, we're a family and we back you up mm. on whatever happens out here, mm. that enticed me and, uh, and wrote me in. And so I, uh, you know, I, I got jumped in at 11 years old. Yeah. And, and you end up, uh, your book is called The Shot Caller. And I want to encourage anyone who's listening out here. Again, my name is Dudley Rutherford. I'm the senior pastor of Shepherd Church. I'm the host this afternoon on KKLA, and I'm talking to Casey Diaz, who wrote this book called The Shot Caller, and he ends up going to prison, which we'll get to that in just a moment, but you wrote this book called The Shot Caller, and, and tell the the audience where that name comes from and what it means as far as how you were elevated in this in this gang. A shot caller is, is a gang leader of, uh, you know, you get voted in, in in the L.A. County Jail or in the California prison system. It's someone who is given the authority to pretty much co-sign on a lot of things that go on both in the prison system and outside the prison uh, walls. Uh, anywhere from, you know, from taking someone's life, both inside the prison and outside, uh, to moving large amounts of money, drugs, uh, you name it. And that person is very influential in, in these moves. So, you know, me becoming one in the Los Angeles County Jail initially and then getting placed in what's called the gang module at the Old Men's Central Jail at a young age. That's a lot of power and a lot of responsibility that you carry. The shot caller. Yeah. You know, um, Casey, to, to be honest with you, I read this book and I, you know, I was traveling and I, I thought, well, I'll just read the first chapter, which we all do. We kind of read the first chapter. And then I thought, I, I got to read the next chapter. I got, I got to see what happens next. Kind of goes back into time. And then I, I got to read the next chapter. And before I, I knew it, I'd read through the entire book. And just as a pastor, I, I'm reading this book and you getting involved. First of all, growing up with, with an abusive father, which, which I did not ever experience. I grew up uh, with a great mom and a great dad, never saw any of the things that you saw, never experienced anything that you experienced. And today I pastor a large church. I've seen a lot of people, a lot of, heard a lot of stories, been a part of seeing God do a lot of things in a lot of different people's lives. But when I read your story, when I read this book, The Shot Caller, the first uh, half of the book, it was very difficult for me to read. I, again, I've lived in California, and I've always said that people who live here, they've seen it all, they've done it all, they've experienced it all, that nothing shocks them anymore. But when I was reading your book, I was shocked. It was so graphic. Uh, you, you, um, you know, I didn't know you, hadn't met you. This is the first time I've ever met you yeah, face-to-face here. Um, but I, after I read the book, I had, to, I had to meet you, and I had to have you, if possible, to come do this, this show here this afternoon. But... It was so graphic, you taking certain uh, utilities like a screwdriver and doing some things that I ended up killing someone, but it, it was the most graphic thing that I'd ever read, and I kept thinking, there, there's, no way, there's no way this guy could ever become a Christian. This, this guy is too far down the road. 
of of sin. It's not just sin; it's evil. It it it, it is where he's involved in in stabbing people and robbing people uh, with with no sense of conscience of any kind. And and I just I I want to I want the audience to understand that if they read this book, it's going to shake them to their core. But the thing that shook me. And, and, and there's a lesson to be learned in this book by reading it. You, usually when someone gives their testimony, you, want to, you don't want to spend a lot of time on their past. I want to get to the redemption part. I want to get to the story where God saves you. But it, it, is, so, it is so deep in despair and sin and evil. It, 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 the lesson is that, that the redeeming God of, uh, grace of God is greater than any sin that we could ever commit. But and we'll get to that, but when I'm reading this book, the thing that shook me the most is when I turned the page and it said, it said, I hope everybody's listening, it said, and then I turned 16 years of age. That all of this stuff, this graphic, the violence, it was all when you were a teenager. But, but by the time you were 11, you were introduced into the gang, but this was your teenage years, 11, 12, 13, 14 15 years of age, in and out of juvenile detention centers, left and right, knowing what the prison system is all about. And you weren't even 16 years of age yet. And um, I, I'm still shaking a little bit when I think about how you got to that point in your life. And for some reason, it helps, ex- it helps me understand what you went through, knowing that your mom and dad were not there for you and the things that you experience. When you look back, we're going to get to the redemption part here in just a moment, but you end up going, the, the, the book gets you eventually to Folsom Prison. You end up in prison because you took a man's life. You want to tell the story of what the event that, that sent you to Folsom Prison? Um, yeah, uh, I was involved in a uh, gang uh, a murder uh, where uh, I was at a small restaurant here in Los Angeles and uh, a rival gang uh, saw me. And You'd walked in there by yourself. I'd walked in there by myself. I sat down, had a burger in my hand, and uh, they walked in. Uh, this was a time when uh, you could ride in back of your pickup trucks, and they were in a pickup truck. Uh, they jumped out of the car uh, of their truck and walked into the, to the little uh, hole-in-the-wall restaurant that I was in. A fight ensued. Uh, I ran outside because I knew I was going to, you know, well, you're going to lose a fight when there's that many of them. And um, I uh, ended up uh, taking one of their lives uh, by shooting the, uh, this person. He and was after you. He was after me. But you had done a lot of you had done a lot of things to his gang that caused yeah. him to come after you. Yeah. You get through him in the restaurant, get out to your car, and you you got a gun in your car. Yeah, and he's him. he's like climbing through the window trying to get you. Yeah. And um, you shoot him, then you go around the car and shoot him again. Yeah. And how old were you at this time? 16 years old. 16 years of age. Brother, you end up going to Folsom Prison. I end up going to a new Folsom State Prison. It's a high-security prison. Yeah. and um, High-level prisoners. Yeah. High, thick concrete walls. Yeah. Number one prison in, in California, right? Yeah. My, my first meal was served by uh, the Hillside Strangler uh, in there. That was the first person I meet in there. Uh, so... It gives you the caliber of people that are in there with me. And and there's a story of how you get there on the bus. I wish people could read where they put you, a bunch of prisoners, to go up there, but you were the one guy in a red jumpsuit 
and they put you in a cage inside the bus because you were the shot caller. You were the dangerous one. Uh, but you get to Folsom Prison, and they put you into isolation. Uh, I want you to tell our listening audience how long were you sent? How long was your sentence? How old you were? How long your sentence was? And what ice, being in isolation meant, and how long you were in there? Uh, I was sentenced to twelve years, eight months, and I was to spend my entire sentence in the shoe program, which is solitary confinement. Uh, in there, you're given white boxers, white t-shirt, socks, uh, sheet, uh, very thin blanket, uh, concrete slab, toilet. And that's about it. And you're in there 23 hours of the day uh, with one hour of uh, rec time in a bigger cell. The cell is 8 by 10, so it's 8 square foot. No windows. Uh, no windows. Uh, there's no. Uh, uh, there's a gate, and then there's another gate in your cell door. So there's two doors that are guarding you, um, as if you could even get through one. But it's a, it's a very isolated place, and it's a place where Anybody that is deemed uh, dangerous, even in a level four yard where you're amongst murderers, uh, you're even a threat to them, so they put you in there. It's a scoring system of one to 100. Uh, I, and that's how they, they determine how much security is needed for an individual there. How dangerous you are as a prisoner. Exactly. So I went up there with 97 points, which meant uh, from the bus to the shoe immediately. And tell folks what it was like being in, in there, how the walls would cave in on you as far as your mind start to wander and guy next to you thinks there's some ducks in there. You're not leaving until the ducks come with them. Yeah, and you know, and that's one of the things that you'll, you'll witness when you're in that type of environment. There's eight cells in the bottom, eight cells on the top. Um, and, um, and I share this uh, everywhere I speak is it doesn't matter if you got 18-inch arms and you're six foot four those walls will make you lose your mind. And I saw that. And we've all saw that. And when you were in isolation in the shoe, uh, were you, when you were in there for those first two or three years, did you, were you upset? Were you mad? Were you, uh, did you, did you think anything about God or faith or Jesus or anything? You're just in there. What, what, I mean, what you, you're in there day after day, after day, after day, after day, I'm going to say it again, day after day, after day. What are you thinking those, those first few years? Uh, I'm not upset. I'm not angry. Um, to me, it was, to me, it was fun and games, man. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, to me, it was a campground. It was a playground. Uh, I thought it was funny. I thought, uh, hurting people didn't mean anything. Um, I was, nowhere inside of what where god is in this picture at that time i uh, wasn't aware of god and didn't care for god uh or any of that it, my thing was uh you know i'm going to get mine and anybody that gets in my way well they're going to have to get theirs and it's going to be in my hands did you think you were ever going to get out I, I i honestly didn't think that i would ever get out i thought you know i'll catch a case again in here uh, I did several many times that, where I came very close to catching another uh, murder while in there. So I just I was so reckless that I didn't care for my life or the life of others. I just it's that plain and simple. So so hardcore criminal took someone's life. You're young, 16. You go to full end up in Folsom Prison, high security, maximum security. You're in isolation because you're one of the top. Most evil people in that entire prison system. You're not saved. Uh, one day, you hear a voice down the hallway. 
you hear a voice of a woman that has kind of got a southern drawl, and she's talking to a, a, a guard, and you hear her say what? Is there a man in that cell? Is there a man in that cell? And when you first heard this woman say, is there a man in that cell? The guard says what? What does the guard say to the woman? Uh, yeah, but you don't want to have anything to do with that. You don't want to have anything to do with that guy down there. And that begins the redemption process. This is where God begins to plant a seed in your heart, in your life. We're going to come back after this break. I don't want anybody to leave. My name is Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm the senior pastor of Shepherd Church here in Port Orange, California. And I'm talking to Casey Diaz. He's the, I don't know the author, but it's his story, the shot caller. A guy who's in prison, a guy who's who seems to be unredeemable. And there are people in your life, the people who are listening right now, there are people in your life that you think are unredeemable. You need to get them on the phone. You need to get them listening to this radio program. Have them log on to kkla.com if they're somewhere in the world because you're about to hear one of the most incredible stories of redemption, a story that will move you, a story that will encourage you, a story that will remind you of the, of the power of Almighty God. I want you to try to find this book, The Shot Caller. Stay with us. Come with us back after this break, and you're going to see and hear a modern-day story of where a man like Saul, who went around persecuting Christians and was actually a murderer, how God touched his heart, God moved in his heart, redeemed him, and then used him to the glory of God to make a large impact in this world. Thank you for joining. This is Pastor Dudley Rutherford talking to Casey Diaz on the book, The Shot Caller. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hello, Los Angeles. It's Pastor Dudley Rutherford. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful afternoon here, as every afternoon seems to be in California. My name's Pastor Dudley Rutherford, Senior Pastor of Shepherd Church. I've been with you all week, and it's really been a joy and a privilege. And right now, uh, we are talking to Casey Diaz, who wrote a book called The Shot Collar. It's really a story of his life. A young man who came over as an immigrant from El Salvador Parents brought him over here, and then when he was just a small child, just night after night, he saw his dad. Uh, it's even hard to explain, but saw his dad beat, beating his mom and actually tried to take his dad's life himself once. He, he was so sick of it, but gets caught up in the gang violence, ends up committing a murder. Uh, he's, he's 16 years of age. He ends up going, ending up in Folsom Prison. And we left off where he's in isolation. He's got about a 13-year sentence. And uh, he's down in this high secure where the, 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 the worst of the criminals are kept. And, and, and he's, he has no faith of any kind. And down the hallway, he hears a voice of a woman. I want you to tell us that story uh, and how that led to your redemption. Um, this, um, there's this conversation with a, a lady out there. And uh, the conversation is between her and a CEO, a correction officer. And she asked, you know, is there a, is that a cell down there? Is that and there's is there someone there? And um, the the CEO says uh, there is, but you don't want nothing to do with that. And she because um, he knew you, yeah, everyone knew me, and there. he knew her, yeah. And he knows that she's trying to 
pray for prisoners. Yeah. And he says, you don't want to go down there. You're wasting your time. Yeah. And that happens several times. Like once a month. Uh, yeah, so she comes uh, the last uh, Thursday. You didn't really month. know, but you just no. about once every month you hear something. Yeah. You hear this lady's voice. Yeah, you hear the lady's voice. Um, they're going cell to cell. And um, so I'm hearing this conversation. I don't know that that conversation is about me, but I can hear the, the conversation. And it's not until he allows her to approach my gate uh, when I find out that the conversation is about me because he says, well, that's Diaz down there. I was the only Diaz there. Uh, that's Diaz down there. Um, go ahead and approach the cell. Uh, but it was something interesting that she said. She said, uh, "You know, Jesus came for everyone, including the man in that cell." Mm. Um, and that, you know, even just rem- it's almost like I was there yesterday when when mm. when I repeat it. So Jesus she, came for everyone, including the man down there in that cell. And she came, and uh, I couldn't see her. Um, you know, uh, uh, I could see just her little legs. Because you just have a little slit little in the door. Slit, yeah. And uh, and the first question that she asked me, she said, uh, how are you doing? And uh, I said, I sarcastically said, uh, well, it couldn't be any better. And uh, she said, you know, that's a, that's a stupid question. That's it's all good. And um, she said, you know, uh, we do Bible studies. And as soon as I heard that, I didn't want nothing of it. I said, then whatever you're trying to sell, you know, uh, I wasn't disrespectful in a very vulgar way. I was just, you know, shutting the door to that. And uh, what surprised me was her boldness and her consistency. She wasn't going to take no for an answer. Mm. And she said something very colorful. She said, I'm going to put you on my hit list. And that's a colorful word to use in there. Uh, I'll, you know, I'm familiar with that word. I know As what a it shot means. Caller. Yeah, and she says, "I'm going to put you on my prayer hit list." Jesus loves you, and He's going to use you. And that kind of just—I didn't, you know, how do you do the math on that? I don't know who this Jesus is that she's talking about. And what are you talking about? He's going to use me. That just didn't make sense to me. And I thought this lady, uh, she's lost her marbles, man. Does she even know who? where she's at, uh, who she's talking to. And I uh, kind of shush her, you know, and, but you really can't because this lady, she knows, you know, now as a believer, I, I know what she knows. Right. And she says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. And would you mind if I stop by and just talk to you and prayed for you uh, when, when I'm here. And I said, you know, you can do whatever you want lady, but I'm telling you right now, whatever you're trying to sell me, I'm not buying. Uh, I'm all good. And uh, every time, every time she came, her last words were always, Jesus loves you, and he's going to use you. Oh, man. One day she asked you to go to Bible study. You said no, and she said, well, at least you get out of this room once an hour. And you said, you remember what you said? I said, no, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. So we jump forward. You end up. I, I just want to jump jump the story a little bit because I want to get through towards the end. But you end up having a, a vision and a dream. This woman has stopped by and said, "God's going to use God. Jesus loves you, and God's going to use you." And you kind of write that off. And eventually, you have this dream. And tell us, tell us what that dream was. You're in the middle of this thing. You think the walls are cl- closed. You're claustrophobic, basically. Been there a long time. Isolation. N- really, no human contact of any kind. No. For like three years. Yeah. 
and you have this vision. Tell us what that vision was. You know, uh, if you read the book, um, which I know you have, um, it, it, it's uh, I've never been convicted of any drug drug crimes. Drugs were not my thing. Um, I could have had anything, just it wasn't my thing. Um, and I saw my next door cell, the guy living in the next door, he lost it. And then he had been there. When I got there, he had been there 10 years already okay. in, in the same uh, cell. And so he loses it, man. He loses it completely to where from one day to the other, he thinks there's ducks in the cell. And uh, he, he's, he's, he's done, right? He's baked. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm laying there, and I'm looking at the wall. I'm wide awake. I'm not on drugs. I'm on my five. You know, it's just a regular day for me. And on the wall, uh, I see something that looks like a movie reel, uh, the, the old school movie reels. Mm-hmm. And on this wall, I see my life being played back. And when I saw that, init- my initial thought was, that's it, you know. I'm losing my mind. This dude has ducks in his cell, and I have a movie. The movie you're watching, the scenes of your life, but they're 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 exactly as you see them as they had played out in your life. There were exact events that only I would know, and so you know, from the first candies that I stole to the first you know carjacking, all that stuff. It, it, it and it just progressively gets worse and worse as time goes by. And then it would like stop, and I would see this guy carrying a cross. Didn't would, know what it was. I didn't know what it was. I saw crowds, uh, and whoever's carrying this cross, it was very, very. Uh, <laughs> nobody liked this guy. The people around him did. They just didn't like this guy. And he's carrying this cross, and then it would, it would stop, and then would go back to actual events in my life being played, crimes that I had committed all the way through. Until you know, I get to see the nails on the on his hands, on his feet. I get to see the cross coming up. But you didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know the story. I didn't, you know. And all the all the while, this lady, by the name of Frances, is interceding for my life, which I don't even know what that is. Right? I don't find out until the woman on. who's saying God loves Jesus loves you, and He's going to use gonna you use one day. Her. Yeah, she's interceding, and and I think that is what. This is why I'm seeing what I'm seeing because of that woman's because prayers. Because of this woman's prayers, and I see the the uh, cross with him on it. What got to me was, you know, it, it, I never liked my real name. My real name is Darwin. That's my legal name, my birth name. Uh, when I was a kid, I didn't like it, so I got all the kids around me, and I said, you know, from now on, you're gonna call me Casey. I just grabbed that from the wind, man. I, you know, and everybody went with it. Um, so. Since that day, everyone in my family and friends call me Casey. You know, it, it's sometimes I even forget to, you know, when we're, we're writing legal documents or anything like that. I got to stop and go, yeah, you know, I got to sign it this way, you know. So I, I see the, the, the man on this cross, and, and I really believe that when God's, God's after you from day one, mm-hmm. but when he gets your attention, he gets your attention in such a way that only you will know. You're going to know who God is in a second, right? And for me, I knew violence. I knew the sound of someone losing their life at a very close distance. And I hear him say, Darwin, I did this for you. And I can hear 
his breath leaving. Mm-hmm. And that, like, that grabbed me, man. And I see the head falling. And I don't know how to explain this, but I just knew that at that moment, it wasn't that that I had committed crimes. It wasn't just that. It was that I had sinned before God. Somehow I knew that and understood that right in that moment. And I fell in the middle of that cell. And I wept, man, and I got so real with God, you know, to the point where I remember saying, you know, God, I'm sorry for you, whoever you are. And I know that it was God, whoever you are, you know, I'm sorry for stabbing this person and I'm sorry for stabbing the other person. And, and it was just, I was just being raw and real with him. Not, not thinking you're ever going to get out, but just God dealing with you in isolation up in Folsom prison. That's it. And, and, and I would say and confess this thing, right? And I just felt the peace of God. I almost called you Darwin. Casey, this is an unbelievable story, and there's even some more amazing things about this story in just a few moments. We're going to come back after this break, and we're going to talk about what happened when you when you finally were released from isolation and moved into the main line, and how you got to be sitting in this desk here at KKLA, which is a Christian radio station broadcast all over Los Angeles. This is Dudley Rutherford talking to Casey Diaz about his book, The Shot Caller, true story about his life. I want you to stay with us here on the afternoon show. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, it's Pastor Dudley Rutherford here at Shepherd Church and uh, filling in as an afternoon host on KKLA, the afternoon show. We've had a remarkable time here talking to Casey Diaz and his story, unbelievable story, that you can pick up a book called The Shot Caller. If you've been listening, I want to encourage you to to get to a bookstore, get to uh, Amazon.com and order this book so you can read. There are so many more stories in here that we're not able to tell. But to, to, if you've just joined us, talking to Casey Diaz, came here from El Salvador as a, as a, as a baby, basically, very young age, gets caught up in the gang life, ends up taking someone's life at age 16, in and out of the prisons. He becomes what's called the shot caller, which is the name of the book, and he becomes the head of a gang. And in in that process, he ends up in Folsom Prison. Uh, he hears the voice of a woman down the hall who keeps saying, who's, who's, who's down there? He uh, this this We can tell she's African-American. We don't know what she looks like, but... She comes down to your cell through a little slit, and you just hear this voice that says, uh, Jesus loves you, and God's going to use you one day. He has absolutely no faith of any kind. And, and then he goes, um, he, gets, he, he, he ends up having a vision. You have this vision, and you see your life story being played out, correct? Yes. And then, and then, and then you see this scene, which we know today is like the scene of Christ dying on the cross, your sins you really don't know much about that but that day in that cell you get down on your knees and you cry out to god for the really the first time in your life and inside that jail i'm kind of skipping through because we're in the last segment here and i want to get to another part of the story but you're in this cell and and you god speaks to you and says ask for a chaplain and you don't even know what a chaplain is and so you go down to the you knock on the the cell door and the 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 
the correction officer comes down and says, what do you want, Diaz? And you say, I want to talk to a chaplain. And what does he say to you when you say, I want to talk to a chaplain? He, you got to keep it G-rated. Yeah, uh, he, he, he basically says, you know, are, are you pulling my you know, my leg kind of thing. And like, you got to be kidding you me. You got to be kidding me kind of thing, yeah. But you said, no, I want to go to the chaplain. So you go into the chaplain, and you and, and, and God, you said, the chaplain said, why are you here? And you said, I'm supposed to tell you my story. And you tell him your story. You tell him about the dream. And the chaplain pulls out a Bible and begins to read to you the, the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ. He does that, and I just, uh, I broke. I broke because... Uh, that's exactly what I saw in there. And uh, God yeah. gave you the vision of what the scriptures actually say about Jesus. Yeah. Your life is turned around. You're finally released from isolation into the general population. And what does God tell you to do when you go out into the general population? He says, uh, when you get out of here, you're going to let them know that you want no part in this anymore, that you're a Christian. And I was under the assumption that, you know, because I was told that I would parole out of the shoe program, that it was when I got out, you know, and paroled, I had no clue that what would happen next is me end up at a, a general pop. So you go outside and you gather the gang members around you in the, in the mainland, well, mainline prison, and you're going to tell them that you're no longer involved with the gangs, knowing that when you say those words, that your life will now be on a hit list and they're going to take you out. Yeah. Um, uh, that takes place in a little picnic uh, cement bench that's out there, a uh, table. And uh, when I said that, they just simply turned around and walked away from me. And, you know, if you have any listeners that have done time, we all know exactly what that means. You're a done deal. You're, you're, there's going to be a green light on your life, a death sentence. And they send the guy to your prison. They send the guy to your cell to take your life. Yeah. What was his name? Mosca. Mosca. Yeah. And he says, Diaz, you've got to renounce this, this, this Jesus stuff. They've, they've sent me basically to take, to take your life. Yeah. And, uh, there was and, some... and you say to him, this guy, they've sent the guy, you were, you were exactly right. It's going to cost you your life to, to stand up and say that I'm a Christian. You, you knew it was going to take your life. They're going to take your life for this. And they send the guy to take your life in that prison, and 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 he says, "I don't want, I don't want to kill you. You know, you know what's going on. They've asked me to kill you. I don't want to kill you." And what do you say to him? I said, uh, "I'm gonna, um, you know, you got to do what you got to do. I, I'm, I forgive you for what you're gonna do. I understand what needs to happen, but I can't change my story." And he walked away very, very angry. And um, the next morning. Uh, it was a long night because I knew that as soon as that gate racked open that they would send him and possibly others to to finish me off. So it was a long night. Uh, I read, prayed, uh, and uh, he walked in. And I was surprised that he walked in by himself initially with a shank in his hand. And then he said, uh, you better be right because uh, I can't do this. And... Uh, and you, you kind of said to him, you said, look, if you don't take my life, then both of us are going to die. And he, he becomes the first person that I lead to Christ. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They end up, night after night or week after week, they end up beating you with about an inch of your life. They don't actually end up killing you, but they, they beat you half to death. 
And eventually they, they send all the other Latino gang members out of that prison to other prisons. Like who, how does that happen? It was in, in, in the middle of a riot, uh, a riot, a racial riot happens, uh, at this, at that particular moment. And one of the guards, I remember, you know, they, they tell everybody to get down on the floor. I'm laying down. And I remember, uh, these boots, these, you know, guard boots right, right by me. And, uh, they tell me to get up. They haven't even zip tied me, which is usually that's the protocol. Is you zip tie them. Uh, I wasn't zip tied. They take me back to my cell, and I asked the guards. I said, uh, "What's going on?" And he said, uh, "I know you. You didn't have part in this, and we just want to make sure that you're not smelling the smoke out there." Crazy, crazy stuff. So you end up becoming a Christian in prison. You end up leading Bible studies. One day you hear, I get, there's another Bible study and you go, well, yeah, I'd like to go. What else? You know, I, I, if, if there's a Bible study, I want to go and you walk into this room and what do you see in this room as you walk into this Bible study that you really didn't know anything about? Uh, I meet face to face with uh, Francis Proctor. You meet this woman that years earlier had said to you, Jesus loves you and God's going to use you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an amazing story of, of, a, of a man who was, that no one would have given a prayer of a chance to ever be saved. It all goes back to this woman who began to, to go to that prison and just to pray for the prisoners, Francis Proctor. And, and I want to, well, there's so many, so many things to talk about. We're running out of time here. You eventually get out of prison you get out of prison, and uh, you, you finally are set free. Amazing. And you walk out, and as soon as you get out of the prison, you're rearrested. There's two guys there who arrest you. Yeah, you, got about, you got about 60 seconds to tell this whole story. Um, there's two INS agents that are waiting at the last very glass door there, and um, they tell me to, you know, they ask me for my name. They put restraints on me, and they send me to a federal detention center. And I'm thinking, I wasn't born here, so I'm getting deported, right? So I get to the to the place, to a, to a holding tank at a federal detention center there where there's two uh, Mexican guys in there, broken English. And uh, while I'm in there, I somebody gave me two Bibles, two Spanish Bibles, which I kept. They were shrink-wrapped to that day. And those two gentlemen in that tank, in the holding tank, I also lead to Christ. So you're in this uh, federal detention center thinking you're going back to El Salvador. Again, I'm putting these words. I've read the story. I want you to get this book called The Shot Caller. But you're in this federal detention center. You think you're going back to El Salvador. These two gentlemen think that uh, this is like the end of the world. And you're like, you know, God didn't get me out of prison. If he's going to send me to El Salvador, that's okay. And and uh, the INS agent that, that was driving you to that federal detention center he gets you the next day, and you think you're going to be deported. And he says to you, I got good news and I got bad news. He goes, he goes the good news is we're not gonna, you're not going to be deported, which is another miracle in, in, of itself. But he goes, the bad news is you got to go back to Folsom Prison and spend one more night in the prison. Yeah. And as you go back to the prison, they won't put you in the general population. They say, Diaz, we don't know how to tell you this, but you've got to go back. And even though you're free, you've got to go spend one more night uh, in, in the, in the, in the hell hole basically. And what were you thinking at that moment? Um, I, I didn't know what, you know, I was just happy. 
and they put me in the very same cell, which where I where I came to Christ. Brother, I, I cannot believe we're out of time, but uh, I, I, I've got an appointment with Greg Laurie, who's going to hold a, a great crusade here in California uh, one month from now. But thank you for your story, and, and again, I apologize at the end of this story if it, it got a little choppy, but uh, I want to encourage you uh, to pick up this book called The Shot Caller, read the details of this. I, don't, I, I think most of you know that there is still a very a high number of gangs in the city of Los Angeles. If you're a parent and your child is hurting, if you think your child is caught up in this violence, uh, there is a, there's a chapter at the end of this book about what, what to do if your child is caught up into gangs. If you know someone who's in the gang, in the gang world, you need to get this book. I want to thank you for being here at the 3 o'clock hour. Make sure that you uh, pick up the podcast of this. Send it to as many people as possible. This is Dudley Rutherford, Shepherd Church. We're coming right back to talk to Greg Laurie of Harvest Crusades. You don't want to miss that. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.